Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. A quote popped up on my Instagram the other day saying, Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. I know, very cliche. But I thought that that could not have come at a better time. I know that a lot of people are struggling with the weight of the pandemic, especially in York Region, Ontario, where I'm from, as we are still under extreme lockdown. I'm not blind to this, and my family has been heavily impacted by it. With my mom working in long-term healthcare and my dad co-owning a small business, I too have experienced negative side effects of all of this. And I'm very lucky that we are all healthy and my love goes out to all those who have been directly affected by the virus. But I did just want to acknowledge the mental health crisis that is overwhelmingly presenting itself as a result of this awful situation, specifically in children. This is not easy on anyone's mental health and I hope that we can get through this shit show together. I'm always here if you want to talk or need some extra support. But that being said, I think that today's topic is super important for everyone to listen to because it can affect any one of us. As we learned about the difference between mental health and mental illness last week, this week is about recognizing when these daily mental distresses are actually severe enough to be a diagnosable disorder. We're going to talk about how to identify a struggle and notice the signs in yourself. Enjoy the episode. So again, I'm giving credit to Jack.org for this information, as I believe that it is something that everyone should be educated on and be aware of. Jack.org is a group of young leaders across Canada who are revolutionizing mental health, so naturally, I enjoy their content. But I'm just going to take a second to read something directly from their Mental Health 102 training that states a framework to use when assessing the severity of the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors we might be experiencing. Quote, Are they intense? These aren't mild, everyday fluctuations. They're stronger and more persistent thoughts, feelings, and behaviors than the usual ups and downs of life. Are they long-lasting? They're having a consistent or lingering presence over weeks, months, or longer. Many professionals suggest that anything that's lasted two weeks or longer can be cause for concern. Are they having a big impact? They're beginning to cause negative consequences in one's life, possibly interfering with someone's ability to function and or meet their everyday goals, end quote. These three things, intense, long-lasting, and big impact, are three things to remember when you might be experiencing a difficult time. This is when a mental health struggle may actually be considered a diagnosable illness, and it's so important for people to know that they don't have to hide what they're going through if these thoughts, feelings, or behaviors are consuming your life. And if you don't know or can't tell if what you're going through is serious in the sense that you require professional assistance for your well-being, there are also some noticeable signs that you can look out for in yourself or in others. Quote, noticeable thoughts. Thoughts that express intense hopelessness, like what's the point? Worthlessness, like I hate myself? Or things that aren't there, like hallucinations or delusions. Noticeable feelings. Feelings that are intense and long-lasting, like showing loss of interest in things that used to be important or feeling numb. And noticeable behaviors. Behaviors that are having a big impact in someone's life, like increased use of alcohol or drugs, or changes in eating or sleeping patterns. End quote. Please note that these are signs that someone may be experiencing a mental health struggle, but are not necessarily signs that someone has a mental illness. 
It's important to remember that if distressed thoughts, feelings, and or behaviors are intense, long-lasting, and or having a big impact on someone's life, for you or someone you know, these could be signs of a mental illness and it is crucial to seek help. Just the same way that people know to go to the doctor when there is physical pain or something restricting our physical body, we should do the same for our mental pain because we cannot have good physical health if we are not mentally healthy. I hope that you can at least take something away from all this information that I just spat at you. But with all that being said, I'm very excited to introduce an incredibly strong person in today's episode. I think that this content and her story are so well related and can be useful to a lot of people. So wherever you are, thank you for listening and for giving us the platform to educate each other and talk about mental health. Okay, I've got my microphone connected, headphones are on. I think I got everything figured out now. Third time's the chart. But I am so excited to be joined by one of my best friends today, Heather Raymond, to share her experience with mental illness. So Heather, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we begin? So hi, my name is Heather Raymond. Um, I go to school at Western University. I'm a third year student. Um, I work as a soccer coach and I also work for a sports museum. Some of my hobbies include uh, soccer. I've been playing my entire life. I played for a few years at Western. And then I'm also really into technology. I'm into videography, photography, and then I'm also a huge mental health advocate. I'm a part of SAMI and also I love to help others wherever I can. That's awesome. So I asked Heather to join me here today because I think that her story is a great example of mental illness recognition. And I'm not trying to glorify this experience for you because I know it was obviously a very tough time with lots of ups and downs, but you have come such a long way and are now much more comfortable talking about that time in your life. So I really appreciate you opening up on this podcast and sharing your story because I truly believe that it can help those who may be struggling or wondering if what they're going through is, quote, normal or potential signs of an illness. The focus of today's episode is recognizing when you cross that line and when mental distress may actually be a diagnosable mental illness. Last week with Emily, we explained how she knew that it wasn't a mental illness, but I think it's also important to talk about when you do know or think it's a mental illness and take those steps towards getting the help that you need. So starting off, Heather, when did you first begin noticing that your mental health was suffering? So I began noticing in grade seven, I'd say. That was the earliest point. That is super young and must have been really, really hard for you. Yeah, it was. So at that first point, what were some of the thoughts or feelings that you became aware of? So some of the first ones, the biggest one I'd say was I was very anxious all the time. I would wake up really scared. I would be sweating, shaking, like terrified to go to school. And then also, I'd say the best way to describe it, I was almost empty. It was like I was going through the motions of life. And it was like I was forcing myself to feel something. I'd wake up and would be trying to plan what I would be passionate for next. I would wake up and be like, okay, I'm going to focus on soccer. I'm going to focus on school. Instead of actually just trying to live life, I'd be trying to plan everything. And what are you on grade seven? Like 12? Is that yeah, right? Like that. <laughs> that, is, that must have been really, really hard, especially being that young and experiencing all these things and not knowing why or if what you were going through was normal mm -hmm. so what did you do when you started recognizing these things um so i mainly just kept them to myself i've always been a really private person so i never really liked talking to other people about anything going on and also we never really talked about mental illness in my family so it wasn't really a known about topic to me i didn't really know it was a thing and then i also definitely turned towards some negative coping mechanisms um i started hurting myself 
really that was the main thing. And then I started like excessively working out. Those two were the big ones. Well, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. That's obviously not a fun experience. And I think what you said too, that like your family never really talked about it. I think that's so common for people in our generation because it was not really a topic ever talked about for our parents and our grandparents. So for us to be the first generation to actually start talking about it, it's not something that they're used to or really know how to acknowledge. So can't blame them, but it's also a learning process and we have to all be willing to learn and be there for each other. So how did you interpret what was going on in your head if you were dealing with all this alone? I was really confused, I'd say. I kind of just expected everyone was going through the same thing. And then the one thing that kind of tipped me off that it was kind of not normal was that everyone was really excited about high school and I was kind of not really feeling the same way. And that was kind of the big thing. Everyone was kind of stressed about it. Everyone was excited and I just didn't care about it, to be honest. So like obviously noticing a big difference from your peers, I'm sure that was a big sign for you because you're surrounded by all these people who are super excited and you're just there not and like what maybe wondering like what is wrong with me kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. How long did it take you to actually open up and tell someone what you were feeling? So it took me until about grade nine, I'd say, is when I really opened up. So after that transition to high school. Yeah, after high school. Um, That's when I told my friends the first time and also when I opened up to a guidance counselor and that's when it kind of went to parents and doctors. And that was definitely a hard situation for me to be in, being so private and then having to tell everyone. And how did they react? Like, was it a positive experience for you or was it negative? It was different for each. Um, My friends, they've always been people that coped with humor. So it was met with that. It was met with humor. So I could tell they cared. They cared a lot. But at the same time, I don't think it was what I needed at that point. I where I really needed help and someone to like reach out to someone instead of kind of just brushing it off, if that makes any sense. I think especially like in adolescence in that time period, everybody who experiences mental illness kind of assumes that everybody's in the same boat. And when people may actually come to you saying that they're struggling, it does usually just get brushed off and just like, oh, you're just another one. And nobody actually gets that help that they need. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. And how was that with your parents? With my parents, it was definitely negative. There's a lot of stigma surrounding it. The stigma of you're making it up. You can just get through it. So that was definitely a big thing that we had to work through. And it was definitely not easy going through all that stress and then being told that it's all like my fault and everything like that. So was it yourself that when you actually decided to go see a doctor or was it from a guidance counselor or your parents? I was the one that initially went to the doctors about it. It was my friend that pushed me too, finally as well. And it was because I was really, there were a lot of like intrusive thoughts and intense thoughts before high school. Like I was living, like I wasn't going to go to high school. Like it was really scary to be honest so I finally decided that I needed to see someone and talk to someone about it. Were there any like specific thoughts or feelings during that time period that like got really really overwhelming for you and maybe acted on anything or did anything that was not healthy? Definitely like the harm on myself I'd say was one I luckily didn't get to any really serious points but the thoughts were definitely there 100% but I was lucky enough that I didn't act on them. So were those thoughts and your behaviors like your biggest tell that you needed to go get help? Yeah, I would say so. Just how intense and how they were there every single day and followed me around every single day. 
Yeah. So the three things I said at the beginning of this episode, like how they're intense, they're impacting your life and they're persistent. So they're there for a long period of time. So I'm sure you noticed those from the grade seven to grade nine period. And then they started really, really impacting your life and having these negative impacts. So I'm happy that you did go get help when you did and to see you doing a lot better. So what was the experience like for you when you actually first went to the doctor? So right away I was put on meds. And then I was waitlisted at the hospital. So the waitlists for the hospitals are usually like years long sometimes. Sometimes if you get in at the right time, it could be six months is usually like the shortest amount of time. So I was waitlisted for that. And then until then, I was able to find a psychiatrist that, or psychologist, sorry, that I could see just that was pay per appointment. But then even then, those appointments were about $150 per appointment. So very expensive. And was that psychologist like recommended for you by your doctor or how did you find that particular? Yeah. Yeah. That was recommended to me. And yeah, I don't know about you, but when I was going through my whole experience, the first one that was recommended to me was not a good fit for me at all. And I think I went through maybe like four or five um, psychologists and psychiatrists trying to find the right one for me until I actually did. Was it the same for you? Yeah, hundred percent. The first one did not fit at all. And even now, like I'm still getting bounced around, like trying to find the right fit. It's definitely a process, like a really long process to try to find the right fit. Yeah. And back to what you said about like the waitlist at the hospital and the expensive psychologist appointments, like these things are all part of, I guess, what we're trying to change with this mental health conversation. The system is incredibly backed up. It is very, very hard to access immediately when you need it. And it is kind of designed to just help those in a crisis situation. So the people that are heavily impacted daily don't really get the help that they need. And then it makes their situation worse. So again, I'm sure this is going to be talked about in a later episode where we get more into detail about all that. But I'm happy. I think the meds were probably a good start for you. And for you to actually open up and admit that you were feeling these things probably made a little bit easier for you, I'm assuming. Yeah, it did. It was definitely... I'd say it just in my situation, it got worse before it got better, just because again, like being so private and then having to get so much attention put on the situation and then getting some negative attention to it as well. Um, and having to be put on meds that originally weren't the right fit for me. And then also being with a psychiatrist that wasn't or psychologist that wasn't the right fit for me as well. It definitely got worse before it got better, but when it did get better, it got a lot better. Yeah, 100%. And I'm not trying to say that like, it's all rainbows and cupcakes. Once you actually get to a doctor, like that moment, you actually admit that you need help, it doesn't immediately go away. It is a super long process. And like, even with medication, like I've had to go through several before I found the right one for me. Even when I did find the right one, we had to continuously change it. So it is a long process. And mental illness is not just something you identify and then go see a doctor, go get help, and then it goes away. So I think that's something that's important for people to recognize that it might get worse before it gets better. So what changed for you after you went to the doctor? I know you said it got worse, but about like your feelings about yourself, like how did that change for you? I definitely started to feel better about myself. I wasn't terrified to go to school every single day. I was able to hold myself better and calm myself down when I needed to. I also like didn't hate myself as much as I did, like to put it bluntly. (laughs) But yeah, those were the big ones, I'd say. Was well, like getting a diagnosis. I'm sorry, you didn't say what you actually were diagnosed with, if you would like to share. Yeah, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety, social anxiety, and major depressive disorder. So 
were those diagnoses, did they kind of make you feel more normal because you realized that it wasn't just you experiencing these things and it was actually an illness? Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm someone who like, I really want to know what's going on with myself if something's wrong. So it really helped me understand that I was able to do research and figure out kind of what was going on inside my brain that made me feel the way I did. And it really helped calm myself down a bit by just understanding better instead of not knowing every single day and wondering every single day if people were experiencing the same thing or if something was quote unquote wrong with me when it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And again, there's like another whole conversation with the DSM-5, which was the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual um, for Mental Disorders. That's kind of what psychologists use to assess and diagnose individuals about how it's designed and how it might overdiagnose some people. That's the current conversation going on about it. But I think that book is really, really helpful because it does lay out maybe some common symptoms and things to look out for and signs that may actually point towards a mental illness. So I think it is pretty helpful. And I know it was for me and you're saying that it was for you. So I'm happy that you were able to get that reassurance that you weren't alone and these weren't normal feelings. So your improvements in like thoughts, feelings, and behaviors after, did that come from therapy or medication? Like, did you learn while going through that process or what was that like? Therapy definitely gave me better coping mechanisms, I'd say. So that was definitely a big help. The medication, I'd say, was a big help. I think personally, I'm someone who needs that in my life. So I think that definitely was a huge turning point. I noticed a difference immediately. And therapy helped me a big deal in just understanding again. And kind of thinking and seeing my thoughts at different points of view. I remember in one of your episodes, you described um, your thoughts kind of like a cloud following you. And I remember one of my therapists said the same thing. Think of it like a cloud. And the way she described it was, you can see the cloud and you can acknowledge the clouds there, but it doesn't define you in any way. And that was something that really helped me kind of figure out again what I was feeling and that it didn't define me, everything that was going on in my life. Yeah, that's a really cool reference too that she used that. Well, imagery is such a big thing and like people feel it differently. So I've heard some people explain that their depression feels like an anchor or like they're drowning or like they're sitting in a room and just getting closed in. So it's pretty cool to think about how it can affect all these people in different ways. Um, Do you have any specific experience with that? Definitely if I were to describe it in any way, I'd say probably like a rope, like a rope tied around me. Like And on really bad days, it's like super tight. And on better days, it's like loosening. Um, This is so cool. (laughs) Like It's (laughs) obviously not a fun experience. But I think this description, and I think some people might be able to relate to you, just like some people might be able to relate to me. So it's these little details about such a big, horrible disorder. We can pull these little things out and hopefully connect with others. So thank you for sharing that. So while you were going through your therapy, was there any like specific strategies that you learned that you still use today or any major ones that helped you during that time? Journaling was a big one, kind of just sitting down and writing out your thoughts and getting everything out on a piece of paper. And it helped me just kind of see everything that I was thinking and help it be a a healthy place to get my thoughts out instead of just trying to bubble them all in. And even when if I wasn't comfortable sharing them with my thoughts with someone, I was able to at least get them out and kind of describe them in some ways. Yeah, at least they're not just like stuck in your head at that point and you're putting them out there and it feels like you're at least opening up. Yeah, definitely. And then also different breathing techniques. I remember the mindfulness jar was one I loved where it's like glitter and everything like in a water jar and you shake it and you watch the glitter all come down 
um, and let it settle. And as it settles, that's your thoughts kind of settling as well. That was what I loved. <laughs> Never heard of that. That sounds awesome. Was there anything inside the jar? It was just glitter. <laughs> um, and as the glitter was supposed to be your thoughts and everything like hmm. that. I like that. Yeah, it was my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of my favorite strategies that I still use today is the five, four, three, two, one technique. So I get like really anxious at times and can't calm myself down. So this is where you either say out loud or just think to yourself five things you can see, four things you can feel, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. And this technique just like really helps ground me and bring my attention back to like myself and remind myself that whatever I'm stressing about is not that serious and allows me to catch my breath. So going back to my first episode where I kind of mentioned that like everybody's depression tells you different things. Was there anything specific that your inner thoughts or inner demons were telling you? Yeah, the, the biggest ones were that like, you know, you weren't good enough. Nothing you did mattered kind of like no one would care if you were here those were the biggest ones and that's I think kind of where the big situation of like where I didn't care if I was there either stemmed from um, that is super sad I'm really sorry especially because you were so young going through that um, that must have been horrible especially yeah, well, on your own because you didn't have that support you didn't have your parents on your side you didn't really have anybody to open up to was there anything that you did for yourself in terms of those depressive thoughts while you were going through that grade seven to nine period. So I know we talked about like your negative coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. but like, was there anything you did to calm yourself down or forget about them? I'd say again, like trying to get that focus on something else. I tried to try to be like, oh, I'm going to focus on soccer. And then I'd be like 24 seven, be like, how can I get myself better at this? Like, how can I get myself better at this? And I would throw myself into work and I'd throw myself into school or anything I had. So my mind was completely off of anything else. I didn't have time to have those thoughts. I can really relate to that because my biggest thing was always like distractions. And I was just looking for a way to not think, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I never wanted to be alone with my thoughts because it was so scary and such a hard place for me to be in. So I always wanted to be focusing on something. And I think that's why I threw myself into soccer. I threw myself into school, like you said. And I just always tried to keep myself busy because being alone was so hard for me. And I had a lot of trouble sleeping um, at night because my thoughts just wouldn't stop. And they were always so negative, so intense. So that was like the only time I was really alone. Was sleeping a big thing for you? or? Yeah, I remember I would take like sleep meds to like try to force myself to like sleep so I didn't have to deal with it. And I'd stay up really late. So I didn't have to like lie down and again, like close my eyes and like see everything like that. So yeah, I definitely relate to you there. For me, it was like really hard falling asleep. But once I was asleep, I didn't want to get out of bed. So like when my alarm clock would get off, that's when it would hit me again. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go. I don't want to do anything. And I think I've also mentioned before in a Sammy post that one of my biggest coping mechanisms was oversleeping, especially during that time when I didn't want to do anything. I would just go take a nap for <laughs> four hours or something ridiculous, like in the middle of the day, because it was the only time my thoughts wouldn't be going and it was my only like alone time. So I would just sleep and sleep and sleep, which is why I say now one of my biggest mental health tips is to make your bed every single day. Because if I wake up and I make my bed, there's those first feelings of, okay, I did something productive today. I started my day, I accomplished something. But then also it really helps me to not 
get into my bed in the middle of the day and just sleep for hours because now I see that it's made. I'm like, I don't want to touch it until it's bedtime. Just let it sit nice and neat and then jump in at night. So I think that's also really helps me change those sleeping patterns. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, So after you went to the doctor, you started getting all this help. What were some major challenges that you faced like within the next few months? Some of the major challenges I'd say were the therapist changes because I'd say there were a few quite early on. I remember having to choose between which pathway to go down. I could either choose FEMAP, which is a group here in London, or I could go the hospital route, which I think hearing the word hospital and therapy together is really scary for some. And I know for me, it was really scary. And being in school and being like, oh, I need to leave to go to the hospital for therapy. There's a lot of stigma surrounding that. So that was a huge challenge for me, I'd say. And then also the medication route as well. Um, I'd say I was put on the wrong medication to start with. So it helped a tiny bit, but definitely not to the degree it should have. Or some of the other ones that I've been on have helped. So there were a lot of dose changes. There were a lot of switches that then required more dose changes and then slowly trying to switch over. So those were some big challenges. And then also just the tension with like family and friends then that it caused. Yeah. And those switches in medication really do like fuck with your moods and your hormones and you're constantly changing, trying these different doses and types. And I know I was going through it. Like I would just be bawling my eyes out one day and then I'd be over the moon another day. Like it, it is very challenging. And I know it's hard for doctors trying to prescribe or psychiatrists these different medications because it affects everybody differently. So hopefully in the future, they do have a little bit of a better, smoother process to get people on the right medication. So in terms of your family, though, what changed when they knew that you were going to therapy or that you actually did have these diagnosable illnesses? I'd say it changed for each family member. With my mom, it was she was trying to get more involved in my life. So I think she was nervous, which, you know, I appreciate she she cared, she wanted to see what was going on. So she was trying to get more involved. She would try to like talk to me and try to get me to open up, which I just wasn't ready to do. So there was definitely that tension there where she wanted one thing, I wanted different. So that was a big thing. And then with my brother and my dad, I think they were just uncomfortable with the situation. So that kind of drove us away, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think like my mom was the same way. Love you to death, mom. I know you're listening, (laughs) but... I think I did really push my family away when I was at my lowest. And I would say that it was so hard for me to actually explain what was going on in my head to other people because I couldn't even understand it. And it was so hard for me to accept and they would always be asking and trying to help. And I just, it would frustrate me even more. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm thinking these things like just get away from me. So I know I did definitely push my family away when I could have used them the most. But again, I've had such a great support system my entire life and they've been there for me. And I'm really, really grateful to have my family and friends by my side because they really did help me get out of that rut and they still do help me every day. Yeah, and I know that you, just knowing you over the last few years, I know your mental health journey is extensive and it didn't just end there. So I'm not trying to make it seem like you were all cured after this first um, experience. But just for the purpose of today's episode, I wanted to talk about that transition and how you actually started noticing these feelings and getting the help that you needed and that puts you on this path. And I know there's been ups and downs over the years, but I think actually accepting yourself right at the beginning and acknowledging that there was maybe something abnormal about what you were going through. So I'm really happy that you did get the help that you did. And I'm really happy to still have you here in my life today. I'm so grateful for you and your friendship. So Thank you very much for sharing. 
if you could go back in time to that grade seven to grade nine period and tell yourself anything, what would it be? I'd say two things come to mind. The first one would definitely be don't be scared to ask for help. It'll definitely be transition, but it's needed. It was hard getting to high school, I'll say. There's times where I'm like surprised I got to high school, as sad as that sounds. So definitely ask for help earlier than later. <laughs> and then the last one is you aren't broken, like you aren't wrong or difficult. Nothing's wrong with you. Like there's chemical imbalances. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing's broken in you so that's another big one I think those are both yeah really great pieces of advice the first one like you hear it all the time like open up get help but you don't really understand what that means until you actually do open up and get help because you see what's out there for you and that you're actually not alone and you don't have to deal with everything by yourself and the second one like you said there are chemical imbalances and that's something that a lot of people are still coming to understand and it is new in terms of like the evolution of science and medicine and psychology that these actually are real illnesses and should be treated the same as a physical illness so there's nothing wrong with you you just have an illness so um with that i really hope some people can resonate with what you're feeling i know You've really changed my perspectives on a lot. So thank you very, very much for opening up and being brave and sharing all this with us. I know this wasn't easy, but I know a lot of people will really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. I appreciate it. I hope that you all enjoyed listening to Heather's story as much as I did. It's scary to think that kids even younger than 12 years old can be and are affected by these negative thoughts every day and probably feel ashamed, scared, and all alone. It's up to us to change these conversations and make sure that people in general, not just children, know what to look for and are aware of what to do when these signs become noticeable. Think of it like this. Babies cry when they're hungry and toddlers scream when they hurt themselves. Both reactions to something physical. But a child learns to hide their tears when they are experiencing signs of distress due to social norms and what is considered acceptable to show others. This pattern follows us and is a major contributor to the poor mental health that we see in preteens, adolescents, and young adults. And while I'm talking about young people here, this information is still relevant for everyone and should be something that's talked about more frequently. Recognizing and acknowledging these negative thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are the most important steps in improving your mental health and allowing you to get the help that you need. But in order to do that, you need to be educated on the topic and understand where that distinguished line is for you. Like Heather's story demonstrated, it is not an easy process and you're not going to be free from whatever your cloud or rope looks like right away. But I promise that you will get there and you will learn how to own your mental health and kick every obstacle's ass that comes in your way. Something that I had to, and still have to, continuously remind myself of is that I am stronger than whatever is trying to break me. And I hope that those words can mean something for you too. Thank you for supporting another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. If you have any topics that you're interested in, want to learn more about, hear my opinion on, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, please send me a message because I am so excited to continue to share these conversations with you guys and hear your feedback. Shout out to Heather for being brave and sharing the sensitive information with us. You can find her on Instagram at hraymond16, so that's H-R-A-Y-M-O-N-D and the number 16. You can also follow The Revolutionized Mind on Instagram and TikTok for all of my updates. 
leave me a rating and or a review if you're feeling extra generous. And don't forget to tune in next Friday for episode four. Oh, 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 oh,